This podcast is brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-power, scalable powertrains that are certifiable for electrified aviation. It develops energy storage systems, DC fast charging stations, and electric propulsion products for aerospace, defense, automotive, marine, and industrial traction industries. Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Aviation Renaissance with Spencer and Spencer. Today's guest is Mike Duffy, our Vice President of Product. Mike, take it away, it's yours. Good morning. <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> um, well, I guess I was asked to talk about what brought me to EP Systems, so maybe we'll just start with um, my dad. Okay. Um, hmm. I don't have a great relationship with him now, but, um, but he was an engineer. Hmm. And so just had, growing up with an engineer in the family, and, and he worked at Lockheed Martin hmm. and worked on like secret things you couldn't talk about, you know, black boxes and stuff. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, I was just really bad in high school. Like, like um, I don't know what you can get as a low, like just put your name on the SATs. <laughs> but like, I had a 900 something. <laughs> I don't, I, I never took the SAT, is that good or bad? I, I didn't want to say it's not terrible, but it's- It's pretty bad, yeah, right? it's pretty bad. Here, so like, here's an example. Like in your, when you're doing the SATs, there's this thing called I, imaginary numbers. I had not taken algebra yet, so I didn't even know what the I was. <laughs> so there was, a whole bunch of, there was a whole bunch of like, you know, questions with like I, I square root of I and all kinds of things. If, basic stuff you'd know if you took algebra. Didn't know any of that stuff. So did terrible on the wait, SATs. What did you, wait, what, what, when did you take the, okay, this might get too personal, but when did you take the SAT? Because algebra is a pretty early I So I would class. say... I was on a path to like being um, a garbage man. Ooh. <laughs> this is a great there's beginning nothing, to this story. There's nothing wrong with being a garbage no, man. No, no, it's a great, it's a great profession. But I had, I was an, I was an only child. I was being raised by my mom, and my dad was kind of absent. And so until my stepdad came along, and he was a computer programmer when I was ten, he sort of was good, good influence on me. I didn't really do a lot of schoolwork. I was like a D student, you know, all the way through high school until I sort of got my act together the, the senior year. And, but I had been so bad in school. Like I'm talking, I hadn't taken geometry yet. I hadn't taken algebra. These are all classes you, you would you normally to take, take yeah. to go to college. Okay. <laughs> and then, um, so basically I, 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 uh, I, actually, I'll say I, I met a girl who was very uh, hard worker, you know, really hard working girl. She would like take these no dose pills and like work all night and get great good grades. And I guess that just inspired me to like work, do some work. So when I applied myself, I did good. Imagine that. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> How many bottles of no dose did you go through? I didn't do any no dose. Oh, okay. She was the no doser. Um, but anyway, so I it was really weird because like I started, I decided to go to college, do a, a non determined engineering degree. Like you don't pick what you're gonna be, it's just general engineering. And I've inspired by my dad to do that. I wanna be an engineer and make good money. So started my, I started, applied to Penn State. Um, I did the, what do you call it? The, the satellite campus, it's easier to get into satellite campuses. If you get into main oh, campus, you need to have a high SAT score. Right. So I, I, I got in, even with the SAT score being under wow. a thousand, I know. Wow. Satellite campuses are slutty. They'll just take your money. 
So, um, so I so I start so I was starting to apply myself my senior year in college, in high school was getting decent grades actually by the time I finished high school and then when I started college, I was doing a remote. It's not remote. I was living at home, so I call it thirteenth grade because you know twelfth grade you, you finish and in thirteenth grade right. you go to like right. you go to like a, a community college or something. College, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm in thirteenth grade. My uh, it's Penn State. Uh, um, Ogons, they called it. It was like a satellite near Philly. And I basically would drive there. It's a 45 minute drive one way. I take classes. So you can't drive home between classes. So right. basically, I'm stuck there the entire day. And I just sit there and I'd like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I would just do homework. <laughs> just sit there and do homework. And uh, I don't know. I guess I did really well. I was, I, my first semester, I, I, um, I got. Uh, Above 3.5, whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Made the, the dean's list? Dean's list, that's yeah, it. Yeah, there it is. And I was surprised at myself. I was like, yeah, that's weird. Who needs <laughs> <laughs> imaginary so numbers weird. now? This is a great story. Well, actually, you know what's funny is that I my first whole semester was just taking classes that I was supposed to take in high school. So the whole first semester didn't even count. I feel that. Geometry, yeah. algebra, algebra 2, all those things had to take in college mm -hmm. just to like start my degree really. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was taking, and then I decided to do aerospace engineering, you know, a couple semesters later, and that's a 155 credit thing. So I must have graduated with like 170 credits or something ridiculous. I mean, that's a lot. Of that classes. is a lot. Of, I just think of the dollar bills associated to that. that well, it was cheaper back then. It was cheaper back then. So, mm -hmm. and, 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 and if you live in the state, it's cheaper too. Mm -hmm. So I guess five years of school, um, I did five years of school uh, two two years uh, near near Ogons, and then the last three years I did in, in Penn State main campus. Main campus is awesome, a lot of partying, a lot of fun. But I remember, uh, so at Ogons I did really well. I had dean's list, all that great stuff. But uh, when I got to main campus, it was a different story. The competition is harder. Mm -hmm. You like you you have to be like really smart. I remember actually. I couldn't keep up. I was like not smart enough. It was like it was a it was a big shock for me. So it was stressful moments for me, but I got through it um, and uh, actually did really well. You know, had three internships. First internship was Lockheed. My dad got it for me, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a joke. Do you guys ever heard of Napster? Yeah. Oh yes. Of course. Oh yes. Okay. I spent half my day playing on Napster. <laughs> I don't think my dad knows that. <laughs> well, he does How many now. viruses did you unintentionally download? <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great point. I mean, I was just a mess. I didn't care. I finished that, that uh, internship and, uh, and, then, and then did really well. Finally caught up and did really well the next semester. So then I got a... Uh, my one of my professors got me a job at Sikorsky, which is a helicopter company. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started falling in love with helicopters. I was like, helicopters are sweet. I love the S... 53 or uh, CH-53. Okay, Chinook. No, so CH-53 oh, is the You're yeah. Right. The 53 is the biggest helicopter that America makes, the U.S. makes. Yep. And I remember when I went to the hangar at Sikorsky for my internship, and I went to the hangar there because Sikorsky had everything in one building, engineering, um, test, and then you like they built the whole thing there, and it shot out the door and, got, mm -hmm. and flew out. It was such a cool, yeah. Stratford, Connecticut. And I remember I went in that like hangar, excuse me, all the big helicopters in there. I'm like, this is so cool. And so I, I kind of fell in love with helicopters, especially big helicopters. I loved 
giant helicopters. Like there's a helicopter that's made in Russia. Um, it's like the, I don't know. It's like two of the, of the, I don't know the name of it now, but it's got, it's, it, it was built to hold tanks mm. and they built like two of them. You know, Rush likes to build giant things. That is a massive helicopter. It had, the biggest helicopter that's flying today is the Mil 26. Mm-hmm. This was the, like, it was like, it took that rotor, which is 108 foot diameter and put it next to each other on a, on a wing. And it was just ridiculous. Anyway, I just was obsessed with, with giant helicopters. So, finished my, my internship at Sikorsky and then did another internship at Sikorsky. So, I guess my senior year, I was expecting to get a job at Sikorsky. But they never hired me. <gasps> I know. But good news is, <laughs> I lived in Philadelphia and Boeing had a helicopter division in Philadelphia. Oh. Mm-hmm. Fate strikes. Yes. So luckily, they hired me. It was a really bad time, too, for aerospace engineering because it was right after 9-11. I graduated in 2003. And so there was not a lot of jobs. But uh, luckily, I got a job there and started working on the V-22. Did you guys ever hear the Osprey? Yep. It's pretty sweet. Mm. Yep. Rotating wings, vertical takeoff. It's like the most complex thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. I've ridden in them. So not only is it a helicopter... And an airplane, mm-hmm. which is pretty complex mm-hmm. in its own right. It has the rotor system of a helicopter, so it completely articulates, which means it, it can do cyclic and, and collective. Mm-hmm. So it has so many degrees of freedom, right? The nacelles move, all the rotors move, all the pitch. It has all the airplane things that you'd normally have. So it's such a cool airplane. And then on top of that, it completely folds into a box. <laughs> like the wing folds, yeah. the rotors fold. And it turns into literally a box that goes under the deck in an LHD. It's crazy. Wow. They're cool aircraft. Yeah. And it's super fast. It's like 250 knots, almost 300 miles per hour. Mm. So it's like the sweetest aircraft, but it's super expensive. But it, it holds like 50, or not 50, 30 troops, 25 troops in that range. Um, I worked on that for like 15, 10, 10 years probably. But during that period of time, I got kind of anxious. Okay. So I was working on the V-22. I'm in aerodynamics, it's a sweet job, I like my job, but I'm also working these like side jobs that are like advanced things, advanced helicopters for DARPA, all this kind of stuff, just mm-hmm. paper designs. So I don't know if you've, if you've ever done engineering, basically you've got two types of, of jobs. You've got like paper jobs where you like design things and they never get built. <laughs> and then you have like real engineering jobs where you like get to design something, it gets built, and it gets delivered. And you're like, I'm so satisfied with my work. <laughs> that would not be very satisfying, just paper. Yeah, so paper. I had designed, from an aerodynamics perspective, not drawn literally all the things, but like been part of designs of lots of different programs. One was called JHL, Joint Heavy Lift. This mm-hmm. is like the biggest helicopter ever to be built. It was going to carry a bunch of tanks. Then they, then they changed the name to JFTL. It was like an Air Force program. And they changed it to like some other thing, you know, every year a new program, a new million dollar seed fund, you know, it's like, when are we going to build something? So like 2011, I got anxious, you know, I couldn't sit in my seat. I started moving around a lot. Mm -hmm. What am I going to (laughs) do? got the wiggles yeah you know our our listeners can't see you but just so you know he is wiggling around a lot kind of uncomfortable you know (laughs) you feel my like shoulders getting tight you know yeah you feel so you're tired at Boeing of doing arts and crafts yeah you want to actually build something something come to fruition right Mm -hmm. 
So then I had this idea. Mm. Rotorcraft are expensive because mm -hmm. they're very complex. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what if we build a really simple, small helicopter and then, and then if we want to lift heavy things, we just put the same helicopter together in like Lego blocks. This is your gallons of Mountain Dew and, and tubs of Cheetos in and, your mom's basement. In your basement. mom's basement. In your mom's basement. Yeah. Right? This is not my mom's basement. <laughs> oh, okay. It's my basement. Your basement. Oh, that's okay. a rumor. Yeah, it's, it's hazy. That. That's a rumor that's been going around. <laughs> I don't know who started that rumor, but... Completely you know. false. Um, so, and then at the same... So it was like a confluence of things happening at Boeing, right? This was like two, 2011, 2010, uh, 12, in that time frame where there's like excess money kind of floating around Boeing and then they have like this idea that we need to innovate. We have to innovate Innovation. Now. Innovation. So they started investing in these things called innovation cells. <laughs> <laughs> and literally like every site had an innovation cell. <laughs> you have to say it innovation in a whisper voice. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because it was like, hey, all these people have these creative ideas. What are we going to do with these people? Let's give them an innovation <laughs> cell. So they literally like carved a room out and they called the innovation cell and it was just a, like a cool like it was like trying to compete with startups you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They had like cool colored paint and all that stuff and they tried to put some snacks in there I mean it was pretty half-ass attempt I'll be honest but anyway I was like you know what why don't we just get some hungry engineers in here and we'll just start just drawing up our concepts and so we designed these modular helicopters that could lift you know thousand pounds and then you'd put them together and lift like 50,000 pounds would be a bunch of them you know and then you could connect them you could connect them with like rigid or you could just have them f like flying in space and then have these tethers so we started working on this for a couple months and then I was like why don't we demonstrate it because I don't want to just build another paper thing so then I asked our director of Phantom Works hey can you give me eight grand I'll buy some parts and we'll design a small version and we'll fly it and see if it works so he gave me some money and that's where the basement comes in. We designed an electric quadrotor version of the helicopter. So the original was supposed to be a giant helicopter, but we just had money to go build these smaller ones. And so that's when I discovered electric propulsion. So this is like right around 2010. There's all these like, you know, batteries are just getting lithium polymer batteries are just getting good enough to like, they're pretty powerful and pretty lightweight. And then electric motors are pretty good and, and they're cheap too, super cheap. Oh, and then, Cell phones had come along and given you like these cheap processors, so you could buy these autopilots for like a hundred bucks. Hmm. And literally, you could just stick them together, you could just stick them on like a frame, you could stick them on anything, tell them where four motors are, and it would just like fly it for you. And you could just you could program and do all kinds of stuff, it was super easy and super fun. And I think that kind of made me pivot to electric stuff instead mm. of helicopters because I was like, helicopters are super you know complex, but this right. electric stuff is like, I mean, I could. We could build this in my basement. We literally built these quad rotors in my basement, right? Mm -hmm. And they were powerful. Mm -hmm. So like we built this, I don't know, four foot by four foot quad rotor. And for like a thousand bucks, we could lift 25 pounds. I was like, that's a lot of weight. The, the thing weighed like 15 pounds. It could lift like more than its weight. It was super exciting. Sure. Wow. So I'm just like, whoa, why don't we make bigger ones? So then, <laughs> so then we started, so then we started making videos and we entered this like, this is during the innovation time. Innovate. Innovation. So because of it, and we're all, you know, we're kind of like, all right, let's take advantage of this. And I think I, I, I entered this, this like contest called Dream Starter at Boeing. And we made a video of us 
And I also enlisted the creative services team. So I had a little bit of money and I said, hey, can you guys make me some like CG things of the vision? Because I knew that if I just throw, fly quad rotors around, people, Boeing doesn't want to play with quad rotors. You know, they want to play with big boy aircraft, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I enlisted the creative team to like make some videos and I made a couple phases. I showed the little ones, mm -hmm. then I showed our own products currently, like a Chinook and a, we had this thing called Little Bird and we would fly those things lifting up stuff and then I and then I had this like custom little helicopter that we had designed to do like really heavy stuff. And it caught the imagination of some VPs. They're like, mm. ooh. Innovation. And then, and then they like, <laughs> then they, then I was like, I was basically like trotted around the company with my like vision <laughs> and every VP had a new idea of what they wanted it to be. And then I, I you know, I, I got all the way up to the top, this, the CEO of BDS. Oh. And uh, so then they're like, all right. Then there was, and at the same time, there was an innovation group, which actually had real money. Like they had like $20 million to like divvy out the people. Mm -hmm. So I got a couple million bucks to go build these really big quad rotors mm -hmm. and actually do some like real software stuff around it and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So that's kind of where we built these giant quad rotors, huge. Like they could lift a hundred pounds each. And I built like four or five of those with my team. And I was kind of, at this point we were, we were starting at my basement, but now we actually were like sanctioned by the company. So we found some abandoned building and we were building them in there. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Just on Boeing's campus. Yes. It was like a dirty <laughs> old building. It was an old train building because Boeing had bought Boeing, Baldwin locomotive. So this giant locomotive, a facility that Boeing had owned and we were just using this little corner for Chinook. Mm -hmm. They've redone that whole space now. This is like 10 years ago and it's all beautiful now. It's the whole factories over there. But at this, at the time it was like an abandoned section. So we would just like go over there and just work in this cage <laughs> and lock all our stuff up. I got pictures, man. I'm sure so, you do. So we have two mad scientists in our company now. We have Randy Dunn taking laptop batteries, making electric golf carts on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And you're in the innovation team mm -hmm. <laughs> at Boeing on the East Coast, yeah. making quadcopters. Yep. And now you're both together. Quadcopters in an abandoned building. You need to put that in there. In an abandoned building. We need to make it <laughs> On Boeing's campus. Did you look like Gene Wilder from Young Frankenstein? I look like I do now. Oh, okay. Just oh, younger. Okay. <laughs> just younger. Um, so I guess just to make sort of the story come to a, sort of an ending point. So we had actually gotten to the point where we'd, it, we had convinced Boeing to let us fly these giant quad rotors on the facility in an abandoned section where they keep the blades for the Chinook. There's like this giant area where there's like boxes of, of blades and they just send them out to the war zone and stuff and they get shot up, whatever. Right. We're out there with these boxes of blades flight, flight testing our system. And the final flight test was we actually connected four of these quadcopters together and lifted like 200 pounds. Wow. The, the real video of that, right? Yeah. The real goal was to lift it up on top of the building, but we were running out of time. People were, they think they had started, innovation had gotten stale. <laughs> and they didn't want to keep spending money, so they decided, hey, you're, you're done at the end of the year. <laughs> so we decided to just rush and get it done and just lift some 200 pounds and then see if we could parlay that into some more funding. And so at the end of the day, I couldn't find, and I, I had basically gotten a, a BD person to help me build the story of how Boeing would sell this, and the guy really didn't like the concept. It's like having someone on your team who just wants to kill it. He just kept giving me reasons why it didn't work, and I had to keep giving him reasons why it did. And in the end, I just kind of got tired. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the best guy for the innovation team. 
Yeah, he he was not. He was not. So in the end, it was like all, all the VP wanted was, can you give me one customer? I'll pay for it. And I said, I'll try. But at the, at the end of the day, I couldn't find someone. Mm. So then we had to we had to stop the program. But what's funny is the team, the innovation team kept meeting mm -hmm. and we actually started looking for customers outside of this. So we were look, So what was the mission we were trying to do? We were trying to basically disrupt the crane market, mobile cranes, cost like 15, 20 grand per job. Mm -hmm. Right. And we could make it cheaper, mm -hmm. actually significantly cheaper. And we'd done the, the math and all that. So we were like, hey, Bone, do you want to be the like, you know, crane operator? And they're like, no. <laughs> Hard. Not in the slightest. Hard pass. And another problem was it was 2013 and there was like zero FAA rules for drones at the time. Mm. So how do, you, right. how do you make money? Anyway, so we couldn't build a business case, so we had to stop. So the team kept working it. We actually found a company that does video games, a big company that does video games, and they wanted us to fly stuff around for the launch of the video game, and they were going to pay us. So I actually got a meeting with all the VPs again and said, hey, I got this customer to pay. And they're like, didn't we tell you to stop doing this? <laughs> <laughs> no, you told me to find a customer to pay for Your child went to a parent. No. Oh, that is so funny. So the, I'm like, okay, fine. So then I finally did stop doing it. And then the team that I had, the, the, one of the guys was a young guy, 25 or something. He le We decided to start a company outside Boeing uh, in, in, at the same time. So I'm still working at Boeing. He left Boeing. We started this company called Vergero. And we hooked up with this company that's right near Boeing called uh, Piasecki. Mm. And Piasecki was building some drones. And so we worked with him. And we actually had some space on his facility. And we were just like building drones with him. It was really fun. Mm. And, then, and then it was like no one wants gigantic drones. That was our specialty. So then we started pivoting at Vergero, we pivoted to these little drones and the software that could like make things in the sky with them. We actually had used Unity as a software program and we could like program and do cool stuff. So that was like a year we were working on that and then I basically said I'm staying with Boeing and, the, and then this team broke off and was like we're going to keep doing Vergero. So I stayed at Boeing and they start. They continue with Vergero. They got a new president and then they actually were very successful. They're still going today. Yep. They uh, were on America's Got Talent. America's Got, yep, America's Got Talent. That's with all the drones program that fly around sure. almost like a yep. fireworks. In fireworks in the sky. Fireworks. Yeah. Yeah. I do have some stock in that stuff, so I feel good about it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> very good. As cool. a founder. Yeah, um, and then I guess I went back to Boeing or stayed at Boeing, and um, I guess kind of how I got to EP Systems is I'm uh, I'm working at Boeing. I'm, I'm back in aerodynamics, kind of bored, and uh, and then just doing my thing. I, I kind of move over to a new group that's doing uh, it's hard to explain, like little drone things, and I, I was it was a fun job, but it was not not super exciting. Then out of nowhere, so this is like twenty. 14 we end and we start Vergero and, and then I leave Vergero in 2016 so now in like 2018 suddenly the company's got like a ton of money because of um, Trump he, they, they changed the corporate tax structure and we have like two billion dollars just sitting in, the, in cash sitting in the bank and our CEO at the time was very excited about this new electric propulsion aviation stuff so he started a division of Boeing called Next and Horizon right. X and in Next, that's where we we launched. Um, I mean, it was a huge budget, of, you know, just tons of money. And I wasn't even part of it. Like, I just found out about it, and I'm like, I am getting in on this. Mm -hmm. So I like weaseled my way in, and then um, I became a propulsion lead for 
a program called Cargo Air Vehicle, which is where EP Systems comes in. They built the batteries for this vehicle, and the, and the purpose of the vehicle is really cargo delivery. Okay, so basically taking things from one Walmart delivery center to another Walmart delivery center from the airport to a delivery center. That was kind of the business case. That never closed. Oh, that didn't close? Let's be honest. Yeah. That don't close. Mm -mm. Uh, so we got, we got approached by a company called Disney. I don't know if you've ever heard of Disney. Mm -hmm. Roughly. It's almost like when Celeste was talking about that little university, MIT. MIT, yeah. I've heard of, You've heard of, I've heard of Disney, too. My kids well, have heard of it. Uh, well, so the CEO of Disney and the CEO of Boeing at the time were like kind of buddies. And so they kind of talked about, hey, why don't we use these drones to do some shows, eventually take people around the park, all kinds of fun mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, they had all kinds of cool <laughs> visions. So our job was to work with the creative team. How are we going to use these drones? The creative team said, "Why don't we launch our new Star Wars ride with it? You know, brand new Rise of the Resistance Star Wars ride." Rise of the Resistance. So um, basically, we decided to build some gigantic drones, put these aero shells on them that look like Tie Fighters and X wings. X wings. Yep. And what people don't know is that we had actually built four TIE fighters, never flown. Really? Yeah. So we had the X-Wings. Because everybody's seen the X-Wings. Yeah, the X-Wings flew. Yeah. And we actually had, so we had a total of 12 aircraft. Hmm. We flew four on site for that show. We did three shows, three a night. And those were, so two X-Wings would fly and we had two back up in case something happened. So we had four on, on site. And there was probably 30 people running that show. Hmm. There was a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, and then we and then we never we never flew the the Tie Fighters because by the time we looked at the space we could fly in we never had enough room mm. to fly them. Mm. So the, the the goal was we're gonna have a show where a Tie Fighter fights an X Wing and it's gonna fly around and all that kind of stuff. It wound up just being like, "There's a Tie Fighter, bye." <laughs> <laughs> being a huge Star Wars nerd, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, it was. It was really. It was gonna be cool. What, what constrained it was just they needed to keep it away from people, right? Because it was just too dangerous, I guess. So they just constrained it this parking lot, and then you put all these safety margins because the height. If there's a crash, they basically see how far it can go down, sure. and mm -hmm. then they, that just gives you this like cone of, of you know, stay out zone. And so by the time you shrunk it down to where you could fly, it was like 400 feet or something. So you're mm. just like, all right, we're going to hover and we're going to take off and then it's going to disappear, you know? So we never really got to do the full fight mission where it's the TIE fighters fighting each other and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So from the beginning of that project where they had the idea, hey, let's build these X-Wings and TIE fighters to actually flying them at the show, how long did that take? That's a good question. Um, it was... 2018, we started the first version of, of Cargo Vehicle, and we flew that in three months. Three months? Yeah, that was yeah. really fast. <clears throat> but then the second version, the bigger one that flew over the show, we started that in the beginning of 2019, and I think that show was end of 2020. No, end of 2019. So it was about a year. About a year. Yeah. So he used EPS batteries. So yeah, so that so the batteries were yeah. EP systems. Did I say that, or you just yeah, you know, you you said that. So, at what point during this process was it during the building of the aircraft, or at what point were you thinking, you know what, EPS is where I want to go? Never, never. <laughs> no, we've had this conversation. Yeah, never. I asked, yeah. I asked my, you know, on a hike, you know, what, never. what what made you leave Boeing and go to EPS? And 
I was not planning on coming to EP Systems. You said never. <laughs> never. I liked my job at, at Boeing. And so what happened was the... the so there was a pandemic and then there was a 737. There's a whole bunch of things that happened. So the next basically ran out of money because there was no money to, to do those fun projects anymore. I had to consolidate. You know, it's like when you're out in the cold and your body is dying, you know, you need mm-hmm. to take all the, the, the internal organs need to live, right? So your arm might fall off, but you still have a heart, right? So that's how what happened to Boeing. So arm, Nexus was the arm of Boeing that fell off? Like a pinky, probably. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was a big organization for what it was. I mean, for right. innovation. It was pretty big. So anyway, um, I wasn't going to do anything. So I, I moved on to, I did a lot of weird things. I basically did space and missiles for a little while. And then I was doing um, space, um, yeah, what's it called? The capsule, I can never remember the name of it. Boeing Starliner. I was right. working with the chief engineer of Starliner. And so I liked the job. I was working with the chief engineer. I was in this rotation program. It was like I was being groomed. And it was cool. And then Nate calls me and he's like, do you want to come over to EP Systems? Like, man, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) No thanks. But then he said, but then he, but how, what 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 finally did it was he was persistent. You know, he's like, he calls me in May, in March. And he's like, you know what? You want to come over? I'm like, I'm good. And then he calls me in April. He's like, you sure? And he has Mike call me up to Mike Armstrong and, he starts trying to get me all excited about chickens and we're going to get some chickens at EP Systems. <laughs> He's like pulling at my heartstrings, you know? And uh, and I'm like, ah, I'll think about it. And then I came back and said no. And I'm like, He's done. He's never going to talk to me again. And then he calls me in June and gets like Scott Drennan on the phone. Oh, here Scott's we go. like, I really need you. And I'm like, Scott, you're a big name in this industry, you know? And he's like, You can do this, Mike. I'm like, All right. So then he, he says, You know what? I need you to stand, start up this product organization. You know, it doesn't exist yet. I'm like, oh, that sounds exciting. So basically, the combination of that plus his persistence, like if he can be that persistent with me, he's he's got the right drive to make this happen. And so he convinced me to come over, and actually it was a good time for me. I mean, the only thing that was really stopping me was that we were almost having, we were about to have our first launch of people. Mm. And, and so I was like, can I just stay and be in mission control for mission control for that? That'd be really cool. He's like, no, I need you right now. So, <laughs> here you are. He's a strong negotiator in that way. I was going to say, persistent. I like yeah. So that's it. I mean, uh, I'm here and I actually love it. I mean, it's super fun. I'm here in, in your living room right now and, and, and yeah. doing this awesome podcast. And I feel like I actually have the heart of the industry at my fingertips right now. I can feel the pulse. like. And it's nothing but innovation. Well, it's you know, you know what's funny is now that I can see all the innovation going on around me <laughs> and the other companies, and I feel like I'm in the right spot to like help them become successful because I know what they need. My so experience. we're almost out of time here. Um, why don't you tell our listeners why EPS? Why should they go with us? Why should they buy our modules? Why should they look? at the epic line if they're really thinking about going into electric aviation well i would say five years this company has been building batteries to fly people like propulsion batteries right go ahead and try to find a company that's doing that i don't know mm-hmm. any of them and if you think the big companies are going to have the knowledge to do this i worked the big company you'll be surprised how little knowledge they have mm-hmm. 
they think they have the experience. They think they have like, oh yeah, we've built all this amazing stuff so we can do this. That's not how it works. From my experience in big companies, they actually don't have the experience. They're going to come to us. And they've been coming to us. Mm -hmm. Boeing's come to us. Embraer comes to us. And every small company comes to us. So it's, it's, we're positioned to do this. I mean, we really, we are dedicated to this. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Everyone else has, they're distracted. Mm -hmm. We know this is what we can do. Well, that's all that we do. It's right? all that so we, we do. So we can focus on it. That's important. Specialize. That's what kills the big companies is they've got yeah. other things to work on. Maybe we should do motors too. Maybe we can also do some motor controllers. Maybe we can do this and that and the other. We're just doing the batteries. So we're already working on our next version of Epic, even though we're just delivering now. Mm -hmm. Who's doing that? People who are just doing that, who are working on the batteries, are just focused on the batteries now. I'm already starting the next version. Mm -hmm. Well, some, some of our investors, like, like Boeing and Safran, um, like you said, they are these big companies focused on these massive other different programs and projects that they have going on. Why not invest in electric power systems to build these specialized products for them and they know they're going to be done right and correct. Yep, and the relationships we have with, with the yeah. customers. We, we have a deep relationship with all the customers we have and they trust us. We've, we've built stuff for them before and it worked. So they're going to come back. Final thoughts, Mike. Logan, Utah is pretty sweet for hiking and outdoor stuff. So every time I come in town, I really enjoy the outdoor stuff. Yeah, so if there's any place. anyone listening who likes to do like hiking or biking or just love being outdoors, um, I do have a, a message that I'm just going to show the, the folks here. But you can't see this, of course. But only only you guys can see this about how I feel about the outdoors. <laughs> we are trying to keep it uh, family friendly here so I won't read what's on his socks but it is a testament to how much Duffy need, loves the outdoors you need one that says instead of the outdoors hacky sack though oh, I'll do it I'll work on that I do like hacky sack yep well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. And you probably heard us refer to Mr. Mike Duffy here as Duffy. We have a lot of mics at EPS. I, I, how many Michaels are there? Four? Are there five Four, now? Ten. Four. Ten? I ten. I, I, you know, you lose count. Well, so. like, what happens is when, when one of us bumps into each other, like, what, two of us? Three comes out. <laughs> so it's kind of like... Cut off the head of one and two more come out. Yeah, right? and then, like, yes. then, the, then there's two more and then there's <laughs> each other. And so we just keep multiplying. So if you're not careful, there'll just be so many mics you can't even, like, walk in the door. <laughs> well, we have three Spencers as well. We do. Yeah, it's going to say we have Spencer and Spencer and then the other Spencer. Right. So He's already it's really, guy. It's right. hard on the stand-ups now. It, it is. It's getting... It is. You're going to have to refer to last names. But we appreciate you, Mike, being on here. Uh, to our listeners, pretty exciting to hear some of our leadership. So our VP of product here has a lot of experience. So uh, as we wrap it up, go ahead and look at our link tree. Click on our uh, website, epsenergy.com, and learn more about us and the aviation renaissance. This podcast was brought to you by Electric Power Systems. EPS is a leading provider of high-voltage, high-power, certifiable electric power systems for high-reliability applications. Its mission is to power transportation's electric renaissance by providing smarter, safer, more reliable, lighter, and certifiable batteries.